Welcome to the Travel Possibilities Podcast. I'm your host, Callie O'Connor. I've gone from career burnout to taking multiple career breaks, scoring several remote jobs, and even starting my own business while traveling to over 80 countries. The one thing that held me back from starting sooner was that I didn't believe it was possible for me. I wasn't aware that travel could become part of my lifestyle. Through this podcast, I'm so excited to share with you the travel possibilities that are out there for you. In season four, we're talking all about inspirational travel stories. Let's get started. I love this podcast because all of my guests are so inspiring. My guest today is no different. So let me introduce you to Jason Robinson. Jason didn't see his third country until age 40. And over a few years, did some super methodical experiments to push his comfort zone. He decided to go nomadic. Then eight months later, COVID hit. And then eight months after that, he was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, an autoimmune disease that requires constant attention. But that's not stopping him. Jason recently published The Beginner Traveler's Guide to Going Nomad to help others struggling to break into travel overcome their hurdles, as well as a new hiking journal and logbook specifically for people that hike with type 1 diabetes. It's a great episode. I'm not going to drag this intro out any further here it is before we dive in this season's episodes will come to you uninterrupted and ad free i know that you'll be inspired by the stories you hear this season and if you need help taking the leap yourself i encourage you to check out the resources listed in the show notes or visit my website www.travelshifters.com whether you are seeking a remote job a career break or pursuing a different travel possibility, there are resources and services for every budget, including free. If you have any questions, my DMs are always open at The Travel Shifters. Now, let's get into today's episode. Welcome back to the Travel Possibilities Podcast. We have another great interview episode today, and I am here with my guest, Jason. Jason, thanks for being here. Why don't you tell us about yourself and your background? Yeah, I'm glad to be here. The quickest background I can give you is that essentially I didn't start traveling until my late 30s. So corporate America-ish and decided in my late 30s that I needed to branch out a little bit and wanted to try some of these things that I've been reading about for a long time and uh, started you know, trying hostels or doing things domestically in the U.S. and really pushing my comfort zone because I was doing it solo and you know figuring figuring it out that way on on weekends or in between work. Essentially, I saw my fourth country, I think, other than the U.S. Uh, at age forty. So at that point, I was I was pushing harder and harder towards this idea of maybe I want a nomadic life. Maybe I want less strings. Maybe I want to sell my house. So I was really trying some experiments to push my comfort zone there. And then um, a couple of years ago, decided to sell my house and drove across the US, went over to Europe for a couple of months, went to Mexico for a couple of months, and then COVID hit. While I was in Mexico, my first true stay in one place, live like a local two months there. And at the end of that, it was COVID. So came back to the US Eight months later, I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes in the middle of COVID at age 42, and then, you know, started to navigate those two things together because I wasn't, wasn't going to let that stop me. I just needed to 
work my way through it and start to figure it out. And then, so yeah, since then, uh, gotten back on the road and, and life is now returning to what I had envisioned it would, that it would be, which is, you know, hopefully being outside the U S six to eight months a year, maybe a little bit more was the goal, but with uh, a lot of the medical stuff, I have to have to be back pretty regularly. So that's the quick, super, super quick version. And I know you, I know you've looked into the details and we'll talk about that, but yeah, there you go. so good. And there's like a lot of little things to dig into. So we'll just go back to the very beginning. Tell us about corporate America. What were you doing and were you happy doing it? So when I say corporate America, that's probably the, the 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 lightest term of corporate America anybody could ever think of. I didn't go into some office with cubicles or anything like that. I'm, I've been a graphic designer my whole life, and I've always chosen to work with firms that are, you know, cool firms where we have fun and goof around, but we also have great clients and projects. So that said, we were working for a lot of corporate America type clients and and things like that. So it was it was loose corporate America, but it the I guess what I'm getting at is the structure of life that repetition, the complacency, all of those things were there. And I was single, uh, you know, I've been, I've never been married. So I was single through, through all of that stuff. And, and essentially, uh, you know, around 27, 28 years old, I started learning about these travel folks that were doing nomadic travel. One of my coworkers actually came into work one day and said, Hey guys, we're, we're going to sell everything and travel across Eurasia for as long as the money will hold. And we're like, what? <laughs> They, they literally had a, a tag sale. We, we came over to their house on a, or their apartment condo on a, on a Saturday and they had tags on every single solitary thing in their apartment and they sold everything and they went across Europe and Asia for, for I think it was, I think it was eight or nine months and, a, and it was on a total of like $18,000 between the two of them. And of course they blogged about it and it was more of a financial blog. So I got to see down to the penny that they were living on like $30 a day between the two of them. And that, that was where the beginning of this started. And then, you know, I had a dog that I got when I was 21 years old. He stayed with me for 17 years, essentially, and he had anger issues and seizures. So I couldn't travel very much. It was too expensive for me to do that and and put him someplace safe or things like that. So essentially, it wasn't until I was 35, 36 years old and he passed away that I was able to finally say, okay, you've been thinking about this for a long time. What are you going to do about it? Wow. So when your colleague first said, like, this is what we're going to do, were you like, you are nuts? Or were you like, that's really cool. I wish I could do that. I think that was back at the beginning of, of travel blogging. And I had seen enough of it to, and and I also knew him well enough that it it made sense. And I was just excited for them. Uh, It was, you know, there's, there's a few people in our lives that you look at for inspiration and you know that they're always going to supply it because they're just they're brazen enough to go for things. And he was one of those people. They were, you know, two of those people. So I wasn't really surprised by it. I was intrigued by it, obviously. And, you know, growing up in a in a small Midwestern city where, you know, my parents, we had a blue collar family, mom stayed home, dad worked 60 hours a week. It was very much that hand to mouth mentality. There was no travel involved. That's why I didn't see my fourth country until 40 years old. You know, it it there was a lot of pent up want in me to to see not only that I had maybe the potential to do these things, but to actually see somebody within my purview, like that I could reach out and touch that's doing these things instead of just a blogger or somebody online. Because back then, you know, there wasn't somebody around me. I wasn't in these 
these lanes where people were doing these things. Uh, he was the first one. So yeah, it was, it was inspirational for sure. And then, then I got to sit back and watch and read and, and that really started to light a fire. Great. And then it became your turn. So tell us <laughs> about the transition from working in the United States to you doing some of these experiments to push yourself out of your comfort zone to actually taking the leap. So I am a graphic designer by trade, like I mentioned, and I always, I, I've been self-employed since, uh, for, for probably 15 years. That's a, that's a very nice way of saying I was a freelancer that, that paid for LLC licenses and things like that. So, you know, when, when somebody says they're self-employed, it is, it is, um, it's, it's more of a, a freelance contract lifestyle where your income can go drastically high or drastically low every, every year. There's just a lot of variables involved, but technically I could have started to be location independent or, or, or been working from anywhere. It's just that my brain didn't know that, uh, you, you sit at your desk, even if you're working from home and you're like, well, my clients probably want me to be here in case I need to go to a meeting or something like that. So eventually, uh, having listened to podcasts like Location Indie and and um, Zero to Travel, a couple of my friends that they're they're now good friends. Uh, I, I've been listening to them for six or seven years. So back at the beginning, I was I was hearing all these stories of people doing these things, and that's when I started to say, okay, given my current framework, given what my life looks like, how can I start to extend that? And that's when I I started to again just start going on domestic trips. I would just find a flight for like 50 bucks and go to Philadelphia for, for a week and get a hostel there and just experience that or go to, you know, just many small inexpensive places to go around the U S and just push my comfort zone a little bit more. And that was around work. So I didn't have to actually be, you know, a digital nomad at that point. I could, I could do everything that I needed to do where I thought I needed to do it during the week and then kind of go to this other place and, and work. But eventually I started to say, okay, that's not enough. What you know, my whole thing is complacency or uh, procrastination. If you're, if you do one thing good, and then you just do it again, it's stagnation to me. You need to like one up that just a little bit, push your envelope a little bit more. So, so the first year that I really started pushing that, I said, okay, what are you gonna do? I'm, I'm gonna stay. I'm gonna sleep outside my comfort zone for a quarter of the year, which meant I'm not gonna sleep in my bed for a quarter of the year, whatever that looks like. Uh, if I'm staying at a friend's house, I'm staying across town. If I drive, you know, a couple states away, or 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 go on a vacation, what was then a vacation somewhere for a week or two, at the end of the year, I want a quarter of that to not be in my comfort zone and force myself to deal with those logistics and deal with what comes up. And I did that. Of course, the next year I was like, well, you can't do the same thing. So what's next? And and I said, let's do a third of the year. Uh, so that was 122 days not sleeping in what I thought was my comfort zone, my home in Charlotte, North Carolina. During those times, I was also doing other little experiments. Like I bought a van, I bought a conversion van that was essentially ready to go, ready to sleep in, ready to work in, but it was old, busted, uh, got like 12 miles a gallon, but it was ready to go. And it was like, okay, if I, if I think I might want to try van life, how can I test those waters? I bought that van. I drove to Shenandoah national park for a week. I worked out of the back of my van I did the thing and then, you know, I did it a few more times, ended up selling that van for, you know, essentially I rented the van for like $1,500 for about six months. You know, I lost a little bit at the end and, and a lot in gas money, but it gave me the opportunity to try that little experiment and say, okay, yeah, van life could be for me. Now I know a little bit about it. It's no longer conjecture. Uh, I did a two week trip to Bend, Oregon. 
And because Bend was a cool place to go, they had mountain biking, they had mountains, all these different things. And I said, well, let me just go there for two weeks and not tell any of my clients. So I, and, and I have, you know, at that point I had big architectural clients and I was working on these massive projects that they wanted me in Charlotte as their person on the ground in Charlotte. But that was rare. It was like every two months I might need to be there for a meeting. So I went to Bend. I worked from there for two weeks. I wrote, I, I mountain biked, I did all these things. And none of my clients ever knew that I wasn't sitting in Charlotte. And so those were the types of things that I was doing along the way. And there's a lot more in there, but those were the types of things where I was taking my situation, the cards that I had been dealt and saying, okay, how can I push this envelope within the means of my comfort zone or, or a little bit outside of it? And then just continue to build on those things. I love that so much. And I think it's so important because you can think you want all of these things, but until you actually like go for it and give it a try and do the experiment, you could, I mean, you'll get one or two answers. Like this was awesome. I want to do more or like, actually that's not for me. And that's super important to find out. Otherwise you're just like sitting there in limbo. Mm -hmm. Yep. And, and then, you know, I guess probably an even more important experiment beyond that one was I decided to buy a one-way ticket to Mexico. And that was my first trip to Mexico. And that was that fourth country at 40 years old where, you know, I had already done the van thing and I already started to minimize my life, but this was the, okay, are you really sure that, you know, I hadn't sold my home yet and I hadn't even chosen to go down that road yet. I, I needed to start testing that water. And I said, well, I'll buy a one-way ticket to Mexico and see how far I can go, how long I can go, if I can get work done while I'm there and, and, and just start to push away a lot of those misconceptions that I, that I know about Mexico specifically and learn them for myself, first of all, and just kind of go from there. So I ended up staying in Mexico for about three weeks. I uh, went into Mexico city, was there for about a week, went to Oaxaca for about a week, ended up in Puerto Escondido and, you know, worked all along the way and figured out a lot of things and eventually cracked some rib surfing in Puerto Escondido and decided to come home. But, but that was another one of those huge experiments where it's like, okay, if you think you want to be a digital nomad, you think you want to work out of a backpack or, or a carry on, you probably want to give that a try before you sell your house. And, you know, that opened the door very quickly to, okay, I like Mexico number one and it's close and let me continue those experiments, but also open my eyes to the reality that I did dig this lifestyle for the moment, at least. And, and that's kind of where the dominoes started to fall fairly soon after that. Cool. And so then at what point were you like, all right, I'm going all in, I'm selling my house, I'm offloading everything. Let's do it. Well, so anybody who's heard my story knows that I have this document called my monumentous moments. And it, it has bullet points of like a lot of the things that, that have been turning points or pivot points throughout the years. And, you know, some of those things are really simple. Some of them are, are pretty heavy, but essentially it was about a year from that first trip to Mexico, about a year from then. And then that next, over the course of that next year was the year where I did a third of the year, 122, which ended up being like 129 days. I actually shot, overshot that um, goal. <laughs> And at the end of that year, I was like, okay, what's next? Essentially, it wasn't a what's next. It was a, my comfort zone had changed from before I started traveling, I wanted to go home because things felt very uncomfortable all the time when I was traveling, just because you didn't, I didn't know how to do it. And I was learning everything. And, and there was a ton of fear that, that went along with that. Well, after two years of really 
traveling a ton and then coming home to all these chores and coming home to these, you know, the things that having a home and a life in a place uh, tend to be overwhelming, especially with a, for a single person, single income, and, and you're, you're expected to do all those things. When I came home, I was like, you know, I don't really, this isn't my comfort zone anymore. My comfort zone is actually when I'm out traveling. And that's when that, that flip, you know, that switch started to flip. And uh, so it was, it was essentially, I was 41 years old when I decided to sell my home. Um, that was, you know, four years ago at this point. Uh, but that was, so yeah, I, I was just like, all right, I'm done with this and made the choice. And within, I think two months, I had done all the renovations on my house myself to get it ready for sale and it sold and it sold in May. And that's when I kind of went off and again, COVID jumped a good two and a half years and making that super messy. Um, okay. but yeah, that's, you know, once I, once the domino started falling with, with all of my experiments and, and, you know, along, along with doing all those, those things, I was also beginning to minimize my life along the way. I was, I was seeing the signs that this was likely something that I wanted. And so all along the way, I was, I was doing things like cleaning out my entire house, donating things. When I thought I was going to go van life, I reduced my entire life to one bedroom my bed, my office, all my clothing. There was nothing else in my other two bedrooms of my home or one of the other closet. Everything that I owned existed in my bedroom. And I was fully functioning out of that small space because I wanted to continue to push myself to this smaller footprint in case I wanted to go to that next level. So, so a lot of those things were already in motion uh, whenever I decided to go ahead and sell my home and, and move to what's next. I love it. And like a couple of things I want to draw attention to. The fact that your comfort zone switched, I think that is so cool. And what a interesting realization, because I think that's something you could almost miss if you weren't paying attention to it. Mm -hmm. You just don't know if you're not aware of how you're feeling, you could just be like, well, I want to be traveling, but not understand why. But it really is this like juxtaposition of like what once was your comfort zone no longer is. And that's really cool and almost comforting that it can change. Yeah. And it was, it was, you know, it was obviously a comfort zone shift, but it was, it was also a very conscious change in priorities. And, and when, when we become complacent and we sit in one place for a long time, we don't necessarily view things in those terms, which is, I think what happened to me was, you know, I got warm and fuzzy in one place that was very easy, you know, just work, go play with friends and, and, you know, let a month or two go by and, and look back and go, wow, I really didn't do anything interesting. It was just all the same things over and over. I love my friends. I love my family. I love that life. But as far as the adventure goes and having every day wake up with maybe a different location, not every day, but, you know, that that was where that shift happened to where it was a priority. It was a, it was a switch in comfort zone, but it was also a switch in priority to say, you know what, I can still maintain these relationships. I can still maintain all of the things that I had prior, but I can do it in a different way that makes me more happy with the majority of my life and still support all of those things. Okay. Well, that's a win-win. So let's push towards that. Totally. That's so awesome. And the other thing I like to just draw attention to is a lot of times, like if you're in this position, considering making a huge change, considering going to travel long-term, People think it's like this instantaneous thing, but it's not. It's this big, long, like runway of a decision almost to get to the point we are. So like in your situation, we've been talking for about years now. And so rest assured, if this is something you want, you can start planning now, but you don't have to go do it tomorrow. <laughs> well, and I think I think another thing that I 
like to go back to is that we have this really skewed perception of time. All of us, I will speak for everyone here <laughs> at, at one point or another, we have a really skewed perception of time. We look forward and we're like, oh my gosh, I'm thinking about doing this thing, but there's so many steps and there's so much going on and blah, 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 blah. But then we look back and we look at this chunk of time and we're like, wow, that passed really quickly. So we have these two different ideas that are super different and the concept should like, there should be these like things just smacking us going, hello, no, you're telling me that, that your life is different looking forward than it is looking backwards. No, you can, you can start things now and baby step them. And, and I guarantee when you look back in a year or two years, you're going to be like, holy moly, there's, there's so much stuff that I got accomplished. And yeah, that was really what was at hand as I, I could have never, and this is super cliche, but we need to. We need to say these things over and over out loud because we forget them or life gets in our way and we forget these things that we knew. The amount of things that I've accomplished just by doing that over the past five years is more than I feel like I accomplished in, in the previous 20 years. And it didn't feel like a lot of, it doesn't feel like a lot of work looking back. It was just consistent and it wasn't easy. I mean, we can talk for hours about how hard it's been, but it's still pretty amazing to look back and see just how many things can transpire if you if you allow yourself to not take your foot off the gas, even if it's just a little bit on the gas. Like just make sure you're you're keeping that creeping forward. Totally. Cause we overestimate our capacity in like a short period of time, like a day, a week, whatever. Like, oh, I can't believe I didn't do all these things. But really we underestimate what we can accomplish over a larger period of time. Mm-hmm. And I mean, what even is time? <laughs> Oh, we don't have time for this conversation. (laughs) That's not, yeah, that's not what this podcast is about. (laughs) That'll be a different episode. Okay. So can you talk a little bit more about type one diabetes and the challenges you faced since being diagnosed? Yeah. So I'll I'll try and give the quick 411, two types of diabetes that most people know is type one and type two. Stereotypically type two has been known for older, you know, people that are adults or older there tends to be a stereotype that it's a sedentary lifestyle and it's caused by um, just lack of exercise or lack of um, eating healthy and things like that. That, that you know, Stereotypes are there for a reason because they are founded in some truth, but it is also something that's highly genetic uh, in certain races and things like that. There, there tends to be a higher likelihood of type 2 diabetes. Type 2 diabetes is, is an insulin resistance. Essentially, your body has become resistant to the insulin your pancreas is making, which is help, which is what helps uh, regulate your energy and your glucose through your body. So type two diabetes, which is, is, is the one that is prevalent. It's an insulin resistance type one diabetes, which is what I have is, is an autoimmune disease. And for those that don't truly understand what an autoimmune disease is, is that's essentially when your body wakes up one day and it just starts attacking the wrong things. There's a, there's a wire that gets crossed and it starts attacking the wrong thing. So with type one diabetes, essentially the immune system attacks certain cells in your pancreas that produce insulin and it kills all of those cells to where you're no longer producing insulin. So for me to regulate my energy, when I put food in my mouth or anything, I have to take insulin based on what's in that food. If I, you know, somebody with type one diabetes, essentially we are on we are on the clock 24 seven, seven days a week, 365. There's very little that, that I can do that doesn't affect my blood sugars. And if they go too high, there's complications, uh, that some short-term, but mostly long-term complications. If you're, 
blood sugar is too high for too long. Uh, if it goes low, drastically, you could go into a coma, pass out, have seizures, you know, your brain kind of starts to shut down at a certain level and, and, and a lot of symptoms kick in. So that's why regulating it 24 seven is necessary because you're, what we're trying to do is keep our blood sugars within this window that your body typically does automatically. So that's the quick version of it. Uh, essentially over the course of about five weeks, I lost 22 pounds. Uh, my vision changed from perfect to nearsighted to farsighted to nearsighted to farsighted. Uh, I was drinking about a gallon of water more a day. I was taking three to four naps a day, no energy whatsoever. And at the end of all of that, that's when I was diagnosed with type one, because obviously there was something wrong with yeah. my body and it, and it had deteriorated fairly quickly. So yeah, that's, that's the, the quick cliff's notes of, of how I was diagnosed and what wow. happened. And then also what, you know, what the daily looks like from a, from a quick standpoint. <laughs> and how has that impacted your travels in terms of what do you need to do to manage it? And you mentioned needing to come back to the U.S. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so I also happen to have a heart issue that's fairly important to keep keep an eye on, and I also have a kidney issue. So, kind of added this to it, and all that to say, I have a lot of doctors, and so most endocrinologists that, that deal with type one diabetes want to see their patients, you know, three to four times a year. Uh, if you're managing it very well, like like I am, uh, they've they've cut me back to two times a year, but add in a cardiologist, add in a urologist. And essentially I need to be back in the U S to see doctors probably quarterly. Uh, it's just the reality of my life at this point and probably for the foreseeable future. But yeah, so the management can look, can look a couple of different ways. Some people manage it with, with, uh, pens, uh, insulin pens and, um, finger pricks to, to check their glucose and finger pricks, six, seven, eight, nine times a day. I choose to use a CGM continuous glucose monitor, which is a, essentially a, ro a robot part that goes on my body and stays on my body. And that measures my blood glucose so that I can see what it's doing, whether it's going up, going down, I can see how it's responding to food. I can see that 24 hours, seven days a week on my phone. And then I am also on an insulin pump, which is full of insulin that I have to change every three days. And anytime I eat something, drink something, I need to tell it how much insulin to give me. It'll deliver that. So what that means is all of those things are bulky. Mm -hmm. uh, I used to travel carry on only, and I can still do that, but about one third of my carry on is medical supplies at this point. So about a square foot is medical supplies at the beginning of a 10 week trip. Okay. About, about a square foot would be medical supplies inside my bag. And then obviously as my trip goes on, that stuff goes away and I have a little bit more room, but so yeah, it's, it's, it's very nerve wracking because then I have to travel with insulin. Insulin needs to stay cold. It needs to stay refrigerated when it's not being used. So there's a ton of logistics. There's a lot of just going with the flow and, and not, and, and attempting not to live in a fear state of what could happen or what could go wrong, because that's super crippling and it's just a very bad rabbit hole. And, and we do go down it because you know, shit hits the fan on a daily basis sometimes and, and, it, and things get heavy with this travel thing. You just, you just got to learn to, to roll with it. And, 
have backup plans for the backup plans and have good good plans in place in case things go wrong or know what you might do when things go wrong or make sure the people around you understand, hey, this is unlikely to happen, but if it did, here's here's how you can help me. There's just a lot of things to put in place and and then hope for the best, honestly. But at the end of the day, you're doing it still. And I think that's super inspirational and important to note, like you could just stay in the US and that's it, but you're not. So it crosses, it crosses my mind from time to time when it gets hard. <laughs> and honestly, I had somebody ask me that recently when I was in um, Mexico about a month ago, they, they looked at me, you know, straight, straight faced. And after hearing that I had been diagnosed recent, essentially recently, they were like, Oh, well, are you going to kind of go back to the U S and, and just live there then now? And I, and I froze. I I thought I was like on candid camera or something. I don't even know if anybody here knows what candid camera is. I know. <laughs> I, I thought they were I thought they were joking. I thought I'm like, are you really asking me that? Because that's to me, that's not an issue. That's not an option right now. You know, I chose this lifestyle because I wanted to, I wanted to grow as a person by traveling the world and meeting people and, and pushing my misconceptions and and rewriting a lot of the things that the news and media and and all of these things had imprinted upon me about this big, scary world for the first 40 years of my life, my goal was to go disprove all of those things, hopefully. And, you know, that's still my goal. So, so when this jumped in there, it's kind of like, well, yeah, this sucks. And and the first few months were really hard. And I did completely shut down for, for about three weeks, uh, just thinking my world was over. But after that, it was like, okay, well, guess you're going to figure this one out too. And then that's still where my mindset is, is, you know, as much as this universe throws at me, it's like, well, I'm not going to give up. (laughs) Come on. We're not going to give up. We're just going to figure it out. So. That's so important. I love that. And really appreciate you sharing that. It's totally inspirational. And so when you're dispelling these misconceptions you've had about the world, like what are some main things that have come to mind so far since you've been traveling that you're like, wow, that's not what I thought. That's a big, deep question. Um, so something happened, and I think uh, you know, there's a there's a good subset of of people listening to this podcast that their their mind frame is is similar to mine or yours, where maybe we we believe there's a lot more open mindedness and options out in the world than we've been led to to know about if if you haven't traveled very much, uh, whether it's healthcare or politics or just, you know, misconceptions about people or, you know, cultures. The the biggest things that I've learned is so far, <laughs> again, I've only been doing this for a few years so far is that there's a lot more, there's, there's a lot less black and white conversations going on outside the U S than there are inside the U S there's a lot more polarized conversations in my opinion, inside the U S where you're either you're either really over here on one side or you're really over here on the other side. And there's not a lot in the middle. Whereas when I'm out in the world, it seems like that's a little bit more level and neither here nor there good or bad, but there just seems to be a, a lot more conversation in, in the, in between areas. And because there's more politics, there's more political parties, you know, around the world or some countries that have many different spectrums of political parties, which means you know, that, that flows down to the way people are living and their personal choices and all those things. So that's the first thing is I think whenever I get into a deep political or religious or any of those conversations that tend to go deep, there's more room in those conversations with people around the world 
partly because of things that I never knew that I didn't know or things that I didn't know how to think about because I never had an opportunity to, to hear it from a different angle, but partly because, you know, we just hear about what most of the stuff that we have here in the U S as far as healthcare, things like that, obviously there, we have a certain healthcare system. There's a lot of flavors of healthcare systems out there and you can't just bulk them into socialized or capitalized or things like that. There's, there's a lot of flavors there too. So learning about different countries and what they're doing or how they're advocating for people or, or especially with type one diabetes and having major medical conditions like I do, I have to figure out what to do in those certain countries, which means I read a little bit about their healthcare and conjecture about what's going to happen if I have issues. So learning about some of those things, but most importantly, uh, the people is, is the biggest thing is I think one thing that I identified early and I, and I mentioned this in the book that a government is not their people. And, and that, that sticks with me always because when we go to a place and, and obviously there's countries that we may not want to travel to because they are further on one side of the spectrum or another, as far as violence or, or, you know, inhumanities and things like that. But for the most part, governments are just not their people and they don't reflect their people. And most people that are not fueled by money or politics are just good people trying to make it through the day and, and, and have their family be safe and have themselves be safe and have some options and things like that. So I think that's the biggest thing is whenever I do get to experience people in, in another country is that there's a kindness and a love and a support that, that you, you would get from your family or your friends it, that's, it's just humanity, you know, mm-hmm. um, obviously there's bad people everywhere. And, but for the most part, everybody's just human beings trying to get along. So totally. And I feel like there's this level of generosity that people have that I haven't necessarily experienced as much in the United States as I have outside of the yeah. United States. And I think it's a beautiful thing to experience and really encourage everyone to do that. Mm-hmm. All right. Your book. You mentioned your book. You wrote a book. Can you tell us about your book? Yes. The book is called The Beginner Traveler's Guide to Going Nomad. Uh, it is it is really more of a beginner traveler's guide with a little hint of nomad tacked onto it. Because so essentially back when I was starting, I had to start from zero. I wasn't traveling internationally at all. I was barely traveling domestically. I was doing it all on my own which meant I had to figure out the financial aspects. I had to figure out the emotional aspects because that's a lot of fear and just working through emotional hurdles of what, what am I doing? Why am I doing it? How am I going to do it? Uh, There's, you know, there's a lot of these touch points that fall into these buckets of, okay, you're going to need to overcome these things, just logistical things and and things with travel, uh, things about getting passports or, or understanding travel medical insurance. So this book stemmed from the four or five years that I was doing all these experiments and what I came, came out of it with. And I said, well, this is a, this is kind of a guidebook for somebody else that is starting from scratch, whether they're 18 years old or 40 years old, you got to start somewhere and you're going to, you're going to need, you know, maybe some steps to get through that. So, so the book is essentially that it's kind of this choose your own adventure that you can jump into any chapter and say, oh, I need to address this. Let me go ahead and read these seven or eight pages. And there's exercises for each for many of the sections where you can actually put into practice what you're reading. So things like what is, where are your fear points at? Is your fear point with airports? Is it with, you know, violence in other places? Is it with, uh, you're going to get sick? Is it all any of these 15 things? Okay. Let's look at these 15 things. 
find the ones that are the worst pain points for you. And now you can start addressing those things. So that's an example of like one of the exercises in the book. So there are, you know, 15, 20 exercises throughout the book that, that kind of help people step through those things. And yeah, again, kind of like a choose your own adventure. Uh, it, it should be a little bit fun because I wrote it a little bit tongue in cheek and, and had a little bit of fun with it. So, so yeah, that's the close notes. Awesome. And it's linked in the show notes for anyone who wants to get it. And I mean, I started reading it and it's a delightful read. <laughs> I <laughs> like, I will definitely continue reading it because I think it's super helpful, really funny. And just when you are a beginner, it is so overwhelming and you can get so stuck in your head and to have a guide with exercises to really just take you out of your head and pinpoint the things that are actually causing you fear. Cause a lot of times we like make up excuses for the things that are like holding us back when in reality, it's just fear <laughs> and we need to pinpoint it in order to be able to sort of overcome that. So very cool. And then the subtitle of your book mentions tough love tips and strategies. So can you give us an example of some tough love? Ooh, an example of tough love. It, essentially, that just comes down to conversations that I have with myself. And I think we have with ourselves is at some point, you, you say things to yourself over and over in your head, and you're not getting it through. And at some point, you just got to be a little bit more forceful to yourself. So it's like, I think, <laughs> I think, uh, I don't know if you've made it made it there yet. But there's one page that there's a giant quote on it that just says, stop buying dumb shit. And that, that, is, that is the root of the issue. If you want more money, stop buying dumb shit. And, and that chapter is about starting to look at your finances in a different way and looking at your wants and compared to your needs. And, you know, sometimes a want might go above a need or, you know, you can shift those things around, but it's really taking a hard look at, you know, if you want this thing, if you want this thing of travel or, or whatever the thing is, and it's financially linked, well, you better start having some hard conversations in these other areas of your life and choosing whether you really want that thing or whether you just like talking about it with your friends. So that's the, the kind of the tough love where it's like, you know, I'm, I'm coming to this from a place of love, but the goal here is to get shit done and for us to, to get you from point A to point B. And that's going to have some tough conversations where we have to address icky things or difficult things or things that would be much easier if we just didn't address them. So that's where the tough love comes in. It's like, you know, some of these conversations are going to be hard, but I'm willing to have them with you so that you can get where you need to go. Absolutely. You can't be doing the exact same thing and expect to have the outcome that you want. So changes definitely need to be happening. Yeah. So awesome. Okay. Can you just quickly give us a travel story, something that comes to mind that you would like to share? <laughs> I'll give you a crazy one. Yeah, um, <laughs> please. So, so people, uh, one of the things that happens when you're in these digital nomad type of groups or, or, or traveling more with digital nomads is there's quite a few of them that swear they don't need travel medical insurance because, because socialized medicine around the world gives so many options and it's so much cheaper. If something happens, I can just go locally. This, this is what they would say to themselves or, or say out loud. I am a huge proponent of travel medical insurance. It is ridiculously cheap, typically two to four dollars a day. Um, my current policy is one hundred and eighty dollars for a year, and that's a million dollar policy with a hundred dollar deductible. Wow. So, so there's really there's really no reason to never have travel medical insurance. And here's a here's a reason why. On that first trip to Mexico, I got back to the hostel 
And it was a fourth, third and fourth story hostel in Mexico City. And I got up to the fourth floor and I noticed a couple of people looking over the edge down to the third floor. And I was like, well, what's going on there? And I looked over and one of the hostel mates had, he liked to do parkour oh, no. and he was doing it across the roof of this building. And while, while buildings in Mexico are built for earthquakes, they may not be built for parkour because a two foot by four foot by six inch deep slab broke off and he fell about 14 feet and it landed on his feet. So his toes, and he was doing it barefoot. Um, his toes were completely mangled and in, in a million different directions and blood and all the things. Sorry. If you're, if anybody has rough <laughs> stomach and his travel medical insurance had run out three days prior. So you would think good, you know, good on you. You had travel medical insurance, but maybe when that runs out, either make sure you get more or don't jump across building rooftops. So unfortunately that story was fairly harrowing for the rest of the day because, you know, there was, you know, there, there is some corruption in the medical system and things like that in Mexico. And if you don't have an advocate on your side, you may run into some of that. And, and that's unfortunately what he ran into, but essentially, you know, the next day he flew back out to Canada, he got the help that he needed, but that that's one of the crazy, uh, crazy uh, travel stories that I'll go back to for people that ever say, Oh, you don't need travel medical insurance. I've heard of people walking across the street and they get an embolism in their leg. I've almost turned my ankle just walking down a cobblestone street. There's, you know, people get hit by cars in these or tuk-tuks in countries where you can't cross the street safely. You're fearing for your life every time you cross the street. So there's so many things that can happen. There's just really no reason not, not to spend three or $4 a day and, and have an advocate on your side that's going to help you if and when something like that happens. So. So yeah, there's your crazy story. <laughs> that is so crazy. And also you're not invincible when you travel. Yeah. <laughs> Don't jump from roofs. My God. <laughs> <laughs> Who do you get your travel insurance from? Um, I look at a few different ones and, and always kind of first, first of all, for me, I have to pay attention to, uh, pre-existing conditions and how they're mm-hmm. going to treat them because some travel medical insurances don't they, they will say right out of the gates. If you have a, a pre-existing condition, if anything happens that, that is linked to that, we're not going to cover it. Mm-hmm. There are plenty out there that do. So I use, I currently use geo blue is, is who my current one is with. And I've used, I've used, I've used safety wing in the past. Um, and I've used one other one in the past, but yeah, it usually comes down to if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I'll go back and, and, and use the one that I have confidence in uh, what I tell. And I've written about, a lot of this stuff on my website, especially for people that, that do travel with pre-existing conditions, which is pretty much everybody. <laughs> we all have something that's that that could be red flagged as, mm-hmm. oh wait, that was already there. Um, but essentially, you know, the first thing I look at is, you know, you do have to download the policy before you purchase the policy and make sure to look for a couple of things that you need to look for. And then the other thing that I would say, I don't know that a lot of people pay attention to before they buy it is, does it have a really good app? And how are you going to interact with that travel medical insurance? when you need to use it. GeoBlue has a, a, a good app. I had to use my travel medical insurance when I was in Spain recently because I ran out of insulin and I, I actually had to put it into, you know, actually had to do the work and, and use it. And uh, so having a good app that is very important. Wow. And it's great that you're speaking from tried and true experience as well. So that's a lot of times people yep. have the insurance and luckily haven't had to use it, but that's a key component as well. Have you submitted a claim? Does it work? So yeah. cool. Jason, what advice do you have for someone who's 
considering making this change, but doesn't quite feel sure or ready. And of course they should get your book. And we've talked about a few things, but if you had to summarize one little snippet right now. Yeah, we talked about a lot of it, but I guess it would come back to start where you're at, you know, really look at where you're at, what experiences have you had? What, what, what things have you overcome? Even if the, you know, that, that word overcome is a big word and it's probably a little bit too heavy for this, but what things do you actually have in your tool belt that you might be overlooking where, when you say, oh, this is going to be too hard to move from here to there. Well, if you look back and go, wait a second, I've done all of these things. I, I moved to a different city. I did this trip by myself. I, you know, I lived this certain way for these, these amounts of times. Well, when you look back and you look at all these things, it's kind of like, wait a second, that that's starting to look like a lot of the things I'm thinking about moving forward with. So that makes it a little bit easier. And then kind of take stock of what you, what you want to do and just first be aware of the things that are the hardest for you and, and make a plan for those, but then start chipping off the low hanging fruit. You know, if, if your comfort zone is, is not with flying, take an easy flight somewhere. If your comfort zone is not with staying away from your home, take an easy trip somewhere for a weekend that, you know, two hours away, start with those little things and, and, and just keep your foot on the gas pedal with the little things. And it goes back to what we were talking about earlier. If you can just string a bunch of those things together, you'll have the enthusiasm to keep moving. The other important thing is surround yourself with people that are doing the same things. And I don't mean that by saying, listen to podcasts of people like me that are five, six, seven years having already done it. Try to find people that are in the place that you are at and befriend them or join forums with them or have masterminds with them and say, Hey, how can you help me work through these things? And how can I help you work through these things? Because we're in the same place. And, you know, I'll say <clears throat> I've been a member of, of location indie for you know six years now. <clears throat> and even though I am location independent, I still maintain my ties with that group because there's always something that comes up that somebody can teach me or I can teach them. And it's a lot of people going through the same thing. So I was lucky enough to find a community early on where, you know, people were doing the same things that, that camaraderie, you know, that comes with that and seeing somebody close to you doing the thing that you're doing, as opposed to somebody that you can't really reach out and touch. And you can't, you know, you hear them on a podcast or you see them on TV, they almost don't seem real to you, you know, get those people that are real to you and, and, and find friends that are trying to do the same things and, and that'll help propel you. I love that. It's so true. It's almost like a hierarchy of support. The worst people you could ask are people who aren't going where you're going and never have been, never will. And then like you're saying the best are the people like in a similar position or maybe one or two steps ahead of you and then mm -hmm. everything in between. But very yeah. cool. And where can people learn more about you and find you online? I will link this all in the show notes. Yeah, the nomad experiment. That's three words uh, dot com or Instagram at the nomad experiment. And you know, the, the beginner traveler's guide is on Amazon. I also just published uh, two new hiking journals. One is a, is a journal and tracker for people that hike with type one diabetes, because it's really tricky to do that, that tracker's out. And then there's also a 52 week travel or I'm sorry, tracker and journal uh, for people that just love to hike and want to track their hikes. I, I saw I saw a need for that because the ones that are out there, I just really wasn't thrilled with. And being a graphic designer, that's what I do is if I, if I see something that I can 
improve upon or try and make better, then I'm going to do it for myself and hopefully other people like it too. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Well, that's awesome. It's all linked in the show notes. Jason, thank you so much for being here and being so open and sharing all of your stories that you did. Really appreciate it. Someone else, I will catch you on the next episode. Thanks, Kelly. Thank you for tuning in to the Travel Possibilities Podcast. If you liked what you heard, I would be so thankful for your positive review on Apple Podcasts so I can keep the episodes coming. If you aren't already following me on social media, come soak up the extra tips and travel inspiration on Instagram by following me at The Travel Shifters or by visiting my website at travelshifters.com. Thank you so much for being here and I can't wait to connect with you in the next episode. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss it.